When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Kathy with a C. And I'm Kathy with a K. And this is season two of Killer Destinations. Today's destination is Welch, Oklahoma. Welch is the second largest town in Craig County, located just eight miles south of the Kansas state line, with the 2020 census recording 622 residents. Welch was established in 1888 on land owned by Frank Craig. The town's founding was preceded by the Missouri-Kansas-Texas Railway building a line through the area and later building a switch, which allowed locals to load and ship their hay and grain. The town that began to grow around the switch was named for a railroad official, A.L. Welch. Agriculture has been the mainstay of Welch's economy since its founding. Crop production, ranching, and related businesses remain the area's financial anchor. One notable name connected to Welch was the secretive Ma Barker, known as the head of the Barker Carpus Gang that included her four sons. The gang was one of the longest-lived criminal gangs during the Depression era. Like many gangs at the time, it did not end well for its members. After Ma Barker and her son Fred were killed in 1935 by FBI agents, she, along with Fred and one of her other sons, were buried in Welch. But in 1999, a horrific tragedy destroyed two Welch families and took nearly two decades to solve. Investigators discovered that the evidence was right under their noses the whole time, and many residents in this small town were harboring large secrets. On December 29, 1999, 16-year-old Laura Bible drove up to her family's home with her best friend, Ashley Freeman. That day was Ashley's 16th birthday, so Laura and Ashley asked Mr. Bible if Laura could celebrate with the Freeman family that night and then spend the night at Ashley's house. The girls had been best friends practically their entire lives, and Mr. Bible knew Ashley and her family well, so of course Mr. Bible said yes. His only admonition to Laura was to be home by noon the next day. Ashley's mom, Kathy Freeman, took Ashley and Laura to the local Pizza Hut to celebrate and then went back to the Freeman home for cake and presents. Ashley's boyfriend joined them for dessert around 9 p.m. and then he headed home about 30 minutes later. Shortly after 6 a.m. the next morning, the Craig County Sheriff's Office received a 911 call. There was a fire at the Freeman home, which was on the outskirts of Welch. The volunteer fire department was dispatched to put out the fire, and sheriff's deputies arrived at the scene. When deputies were finally able to search the mobile home, they found the body of a woman face down on a bed among the smoldering ruins. Authorities did not know whether she died of smoke inhalation, burns, or foul play prior to the fire. They had no idea where Laura, Ashley, or Ashley's father Danny was, and they were able to account for all of the cars, including Laura's. The Freeman's mobile home and yard were not declared a crime scene or roped off after the investigators left. Now, this was despite the fact that the state fire marshal's office was investigating the fire as an arson and the woman's death was considered suspicious. 
Danny Freeman's brother, Dwayne, told Tulsa World News that at 6 p.m. on the night of the fire, he was told by officials that their investigation was done and the scene was his to handle. At daybreak the following morning, Laura's parents, Jay and Loreen Bible, who had initially been kept from the scene by investigators, arrived at the site and began looking for anything that might help them find out what happened to their daughter. As they searched the rubble, they found their daughter's purse, which included her driver's license and almost $200 in cash. I remember when I was 16, I lost $200 and I felt like I had lost the world. Yeah, you have no replacement for that money. That was back in the day when I was working at Anaheim Stadium. And when I got a paycheck, I would go to this liquor store nearby. Combi almost check-ins. Combi almost (laughs) check-ins. And I would get cash. And I was with your sister. I cashed my paycheck. $200 exactly was in my blue corduroy Velcro wallet. You were very stylish. (laughs) Exactly. And your sister and I went grocery shopping and I left it in the cart. We drove away. I freak out. I go back. And of course, it's gone. Did it have like your license and stuff in it? It had everything. Oh, that's the worst. It probably had my social security card too. But anyway, I was like $200. You know, I felt like my life was over. So back to the story, as the Bibles are rummaging through the scene of the fire, Mr. Bible made a startling discovery. He lifted a piece of wood that was lying across the foot of a bed, and he found a man's body. Now, this is the same bed where the female body was found. So Mr. and Mrs. Bible and Danny Freeman's brother, Dwayne, were furious. They could not fathom how investigators had missed this body. And if they missed a whole body, what else did they miss? Totally. And of course, they're freaking out, like, where are Ashley and Laura? Now they have no confidence whatsoever. Right. And you're assuming the male and female are going to be Danny and Kathy Freeman. Right. So anyway, so three days after the 911 call about the fire, the state medical examiner's office in Tulsa reported that the two adults found in the burned mobile home died from gunshot wounds to the head. The female was shot in the back of the head and the male was shot in the forehead. The report also said that the two were dead before the fire started. Using dental records, the medical examiner's office identified the bodies as 40-year-old Danny Freeman and his 39-year-old wife, Kathy. Authorities believed the two girls had been abducted and the FBI was called in to assist. Their photos were posted on the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children's website and the FBI's website, helping the search go nationwide. The Bibles organized searches for the girls in the area around the Freeman home and around the town. Kath, I saw pictures of this. Volunteers were walking shoulder to shoulder through fields that were overgrown with dry brush. The volunteers also looked in vacant structures and around the many mines in the area without actually going into the mines. Kathy, this is an area of Oklahoma where a lot of mining happened and a lot of them were not safe. You know, Kath, I read somewhere that this county had a ton of mines. I don't remember what the number was, but it was like over 100. Well, I know that I saw the town of Pitcher, which is close by. That small town itself had 186 mines. That's incredible. Although Oklahoma is a very resource rich state. But unfortunately, even looking all across the town, the volunteers did not have any luck finding the girls or any sign that they had been there. Like any small town, rumors about what happened at the Freeman's mobile home were spreading like wildfire. There was the initial belief that the female body was likely Kathy Freeman and that Danny killed her and took the two girls and fled. Once the male body was found, speculation was that Ashley killed her parents 
and fled with her best friend, Laura. It actually was known, Kath, and again, small town, I'm not sure how many secrets you get to keep, but it was known that there had been quite a bit of friction between Ashley and her dad. Mm -hmm. In August of 1988, so this was about 16 months prior to this happening, a charge of injury to a child was filed against Danny for allegedly beating his son, Shane. This was Ashley's older brother. Now, Kath, I assume because Danny Freeman was alleged to have committed injury to a minor that Shane was 17, so like a year older than his sister. Is that right? Correct. So knowing what Danny Freeman was alleged to have done to one child, authorities believed it was possible that Ashley was on the receiving end of similar treatment and could have wanted her parents dead. Now, Danny Freeman's brother, Dwayne, believed he knew what happened. He spoke on the program Unsolved Mysteries. This was season 11, episode one and said three months before Danny died, he told Dwayne that if anything ever happened to him, Danny wanted Dwayne to take a look at the sheriff's office being involved. For months, it had been rumored that there was a dispute between the Craig County Sheriff's Department and the Freeman family. It began when Danny's son Shane was shot and killed by a deputy almost one year prior to the fire. So this would have been early January of 1999. So it sounded like Shane had gotten up to quite a bit of mischief, a lot of misdemeanor crimes, petty theft, that kind of thing. And Mm -hmm. apparently he was kind of on a run of stealing weapons from some of his neighbors. Oh, wow. And so he stole a gun and then stole a truck from a neighbor. And one of the sheriff's deputies, who was actually the brother of the undersheriff at the department. Now, this is Craig County Sheriff's, you're saying? This is Craig County Sheriff's. The sheriff pulled him over. Shane got out of the stolen truck. He did have the gun in his hand, but it wasn't pointed at anyone. I mean, he still had it on high alert, but he turned to run and the deputy shot him in the back and killed him. So the Oklahoma State Bureau of Investigation looked into the shooting and ruled it justifiable. But as you can imagine, the Freeman family was not happy with this at all. And Danny Freeman had started talking to sheriff's deputies in town and telling them that he was going to file a wrongful death lawsuit against the county. Interestingly, the other thing that Wayne pointed out is that the murders occurred on December 30th of 1999. The Freeman family only had one year to file a wrongful death lawsuit, which meant when Danny and Kathy Freeman were killed, it was nine days before the statute of limitations expired to allow them to file this lawsuit. So it was kind of all of these things working in concert together really led Dwayne to believe that there was something nefarious going on. So because of all this and the potential conflicts of interest, When Danny and Kathy were found dead, the sheriff's department voluntarily turned the case over to the Oklahoma State Bureau of Investigation, OSBI. OSBI agent Steve Nutter was assigned to the area in which Craig County existed, and he may have been assigned to another county or two, but I'm not even sure. So Agent Nutter was the lead investigator on the case and wanted to look into the possibility of Craig County deputies being involved in the deaths of the Freemans. So according to Agent Nutter, they used several techniques during their investigation, including polygraphs. All deputies consented to the polygraph exam, and according to OSBI, the results of the polygraphs cleared them all as suspects. About a week after the murders of Danny and Kathy Freeman, OSBI received an anonymous tip. The caller said they would find the bodies of Ashley and Laura in an abandoned mine shaft southwest of the town of Pitcher, and Pitcher was about 30 minutes northwest of Welch. The Tulsa Police Department's Special Operations Team worked with the FBI and the OSBI 
using pressurized cameras to look into several mine shafts in the pitcher area. Okay, so this was the place, Kathy, that you said like 186 mines. mines. Several of these mines were hundreds of feet deep and filled with water. And unfortunately, the searches were unsuccessful. Divers searched a lake in Delaware County when they received another anonymous tip. Delaware County Sheriff Jim Earp said that he received information that a car had been driven off a bluff and into Grand Lake. Officials with the Grand River Dam Authority were brought in to help with the search. And here's what's funny, Kath. Three vehicles were pulled from the lake and all of them were Nissans. That's so weird. For some reason. Exactly. Especially in Oklahoma. Like Fords? Trucks? I get it. Well, I mean, you know, I don't know. Exactly. Anyway, so none of these three vehicles pulled from the lake contained the girls' bodies. Over the next several months, several other anonymous tips came in about the girls being submerged in a vehicle in the lake, but there was never any luck finding them. Now, three weeks after Ashley and Laura vanished, their disappearance was featured on America's Most Wanted. The OSBI actually reached out to producers after they successfully worked with them on a couple of other cases in the state. The OSBI also reached out to People Magazine and 48 Hours. To keep herself busy, Lorene Bible, Laura's mother, organized a benefit to raise money for a reward fund. Mrs. Bible believed that $50,000 would be enough money to convince people to come forward. So at the benefit that was held at this time, she actually was able to raise $35,000 to add it to an existing $5,000. And actually, soon after that, they reached their goal of $50,000. Sadly, this reward never drew in the tips like they hoped it would. Almost three months after Ashley and Laura disappeared, the investigation involved the FBI, the OSBI, the Craig County Sheriff's Department, and tips from psychics hired by the Bible family. Hundreds of flyers had been circulated across Oklahoma, Missouri, and Kansas. Flyers were sent cross-country on tractor trailers and were hung up at turnpike booths. A search of a 10-square-mile area by hundreds of volunteers and all efforts by family and friends failed to yield any answers. In fact, Kath, two incarcerated serial killers, Jeremy Jones and Tommy Sells, individually confessed to having been responsible for this crime. They decided they didn't have enough attention. I think that's exactly what it was. So, of course, investigators had to look into the veracity of it. And not only were authorities able to prove these statements false, but the two serial killers actually then recanted. So the next 13 years followed a similar pattern of receiving tips, investigating these tips, and then coming up empty. In February of 2013, two investigators took a new look at the case. Now, one of them was Gary Stansill, who was an investigator with the district attorney's office, and he'd actually been on the case since the beginning. The difference was that OSBI agent Steve Nutter, who we've referenced, had retired by this time. So in his place was OSBI agent Tammy Ferrari. The woman's always going to get it done. (laughs) And although the OSBI maintained that this case was always open and active, together, Investigator Stancil and Agent Ferrari decided to take a fresh look at the evidence. So, Kath, as I was researching the case, I found a probable cause affidavit that had been filed in Craig County, Oklahoma. And I was super excited because you always find the probable cause (laughs) affidavits. I do not. And they always contain the best information. They absolutely do. Now, during a meticulous years long investigation, Stancil and Ferrari found several likely reasons the disappearance of Ashley Freeman and Laura Bible never resulted in arrests. 
Now, according to the affidavit, investigator Stansill and Agent Ferrari dug right in. They reviewed old leads. They investigated potential suspects. Through this, they developed new leads and received new leads from the public and family members. Now, interestingly, in the case file, Kath, they discovered a note that one or two days after the crime, a private investigator found an insurance card near the crime scene. This wasn't a business card from an insurance company. This was one of those proof of auto insurance cards that you keep in your glove compartment. A few days after Stansill and Ferrari made this discovery about an insurance card, they further found two old FBI lead sheet reports that referenced this insurance card belonging to a woman with the initials EB. Now, Kath, this is where the affidavit gets a little squirrely, and none of the interviews contained in the affidavit were the names actually used, only initials. I searched, I know you searched, in no place did we find names in court records or newspapers or any of those types of things that we could have correlated with an actual name. And by the way, it's common for them to use initials. They did the same thing in the Brian Koberger case in Idaho. Right. They were all initials. You got to protect them. Yeah. So as we use initials, that's why. Right. In one of the old case reports, an FBI agent questioned EB as to why her insurance card was found near the scene, but she told him she had no idea. She said she had never met Danny Freeman and had never been to the Freeman home. She did say that at the time of the fire, she had a boyfriend named Phil Welch, and Phil knew Danny Freeman, but didn't associate with him. The case file did, however, include an FBI lead sheet report showing that more than a year after the murder, so this would be February of 2001, a woman with the initials TW was interviewed by Agent Nutter from OSBI. Agent Nutter wrote that TW began living with Phil Welch a few months after the murders, apparently after EB had broken up with him. Now, this new girlfriend, T.W., told Agent Nutter that Phil Welch cooked methamphetamine and she also used the drug, which is why we're friends. (laughs) (laughs) Kathy's a great cook. (laughs) Same. (laughs) Agent Nutter was also told by T.W. that while she was living with Phil Welch, she overheard conversations between him and two other men, David Pennington and Ronnie Busick. T.W. told Agent Nutter that during one of their conversations, the three men implied that the people who were killed in Welch, Oklahoma, had owed them money for drugs and had been murdered for the debt they were owed. The three men also implied during this conversation that they had taken two girls with them and eventually killed them. T.W. also told Agent Nutter that she overheard Pennington and Busick saying they set fire to the home of the murdered people. Most importantly, T.W. told Agent Nutter that Phil Welch, her boyfriend, had a soft leather briefcase. In it, she found several Polaroid pictures of two girls whom she believed were the same ones on the reward posters in the area. In some of the photographs, the girls were lying on a bed, and T.W. recognized the bed as being the one that was in her and Phil Welch's bedroom in Pitcher, Oklahoma. In all of the photographs, the girls' hands had been tied and their mouths gagged. Now, Kath, the crazy thing about this interview that's documented with Agent Nutter 
is that it happened a year after the girls went missing. Right. I was shocked to see that. Absolutely shocked. And here we are 13 years later. These two new investigators are taking a look at things and they're, I'm sure their mouths were agape. Like, are you kidding me? Right. How where, do we not know the this? Disconnect? Yes. Yeah. And where's the disconnect? Exactly. In June of 2001, four months after Agent Nutter interviewed TW, he interviewed a woman with the initials EB. Now, Kath, this is the same woman we had just talked about who was interviewed by FBI agents about the insurance card that was found at the scene. E.B. told Agent Nutter that she recalled being questioned by the FBI about the insurance card, but repeated the same answer she gave to the FBI. She had no idea how the card got to that location. E.B. also told Agent Nutter that she broke up with Phil Welch two to three months after the girls went missing because he became violent toward her. About one and a half years after Nutter's interview with E.B., Kansas Bureau of Investigation Special Agent Steve Rosebro met and interviewed Phil Welch. Now, Kath, this is the first time and only time I saw Phil Welch interviewed, and I don't know what happened. I don't know if you saw this as to why was the KBI asked to do it or who asked them to do it? Right. There was no connecting of the dots in anything I read. And why was it a year and a half later? Yeah. I mean, his name came up in the investigation very early on. What the heck took people? I don't know. Maybe he was hard to find. I know I read that he kind of jumped between rental houses between Oklahoma and Kansas quite a bit. Maybe they just weren't able to find him. Maybe he happened to be in Kansas when they got a beat on him. Maybe he had a traveling meth lab. Maybe. Maybe he was like breaking bad. (laughs) (laughs) Phil told Rosebro that prior to the murder of the Freemans, he moved to a residence approximately three quarters of a mile north of the Freemans residence. Phil indicated he met David Pennington in Chautauqua, Kansas, about 20 minutes from his home in Welch and they became friends. He described Pennington as a kingpin who always had a supply of methamphetamine. Phil admitted to Agent Roseboro that he drove EB's vehicle on a regular basis, but did not remember ever seeing an insurance card in the glove box, nor did he know how or why the insurance card was removed from the vehicle or why it was found near the crime scene. Kath, why are so many dogs now suffering from health issues? Actress Katherine Heigl, who's helped save over 16,000 dogs through her foundation, said she's seeing more issues with joints, odors, and health than ever before. And after doing a ton of research, she feels there's one place we can look to improve any dog's health, their food. What she discovered is actually the way many dog foods are made can create toxins that could be wrecking our dog's health. And this is true even for many of the premium brands. Fortunately, she found that just by adding a few special superfoods to her dog's food, she saw a huge transformation in their health. She's made a 20-minute video explaining step-by-step how anyone can do the same thing to see incredible changes in their dog's health. And Kath, as you know, we have a schnauzer named Ollie. And even though my husband insists he is not, he is overly flatulent. After I started giving him this food, I swear there was a reduction in his smell. I love that. And I'll come over to your house now. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Well, and you know, we have a Vishla we call Orange, and she's a senior dog. And over the last couple of weeks, she has actually had more energy to be running around the backyard with the younger dog, the Doberman we call Brown. Or crazy. A little bit. (laughs) So if you want to keep your dog healthy and happy, go to BadlandsFood.com slash Killer D and watch Catherine's video right now. Again, that's B-A-D-L-A-N-D-S-F-O-O-D dot com slash Killer D. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. 
To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. So fast forward 13 years to June 21st, 2016. District Attorney Investigator Gary Stansell, he was one of the investigators who pulled this cold case and began looking into it again. So at this time, Stansell interviewed an individual with the initials CM, and this was actually the first of several interviews he had with CM. During these interviews, CM admitted that she knew TW, this was one of the prior interviews, as you'll recall, Phil Welch, David Pennington, and Ronnie Busick. CM said that TW showed her a Polaroid picture that was said to have belonged to Phil Welch. The image was of two young girls who were bound and gagged, lying on a bed facing each other. And Kath CM said that she couldn't look at the picture for very long because one, it would make her vomit, but two, there are some things you just can't unsee. CM recognized the bedspread the girls were lying on as belonging to Phil. Now, CM also told investigator Stansell that shortly after the murders, she was approached by Joe Dugan and Tom Pryor, two private investigators who were investigating on behalf of the Freeman and Bible families. Now, Kathy, this was interesting. After the murders happened, like almost immediately after they happened, Dugan and Pryor approached Danny Freeman's brother, Dwayne, and said, we want to volunteer our time to help you and the Bible family find the girls and find justice. So in order to have valid consideration of it being a contract, Dugan and Pryor accepted $1 from Dwayne. Oh, I love that. Absolutely. And one of the things these two private investigators wanted CM to do was to wear a wire to get incriminating statements from Phil Welch. CM shut that down quickly because she said she was terrified that if Phil found out, he would kill her. But what broke the case open wide occurred on February 11th, 2017, more than 18 years after Danny and Kathy Freeman were murdered and Ashley Freeman and Laura Bible vanished. DA investigator Stansell received a call from the Craig County Undersheriff Tony Chenoweth. The undersheriff told the investigator that there was a crate containing reports and files related to the Freeman murders and the missing girls, which was discovered by the newly elected Craig County Sheriff Heath Winfrey. And Kath, Sheriff Winfrey had actually taken office just about a month prior to this. Wow. Do you have any idea how long the other guy was in office? No. Huh. (laughs) 
you don't think they got that? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Nobody saw you shaking your head. It was implied. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, Kathy's still hacking hairballs. It's all that meth. You'd think it would clear out the sinuses. Right, exactly. Jeez. Okay, so shortly after Sheriff Winfrey took office, the crate was found in the office of the former Craig County Sheriff and was immediately placed in the evidence locker by Sheriff Winfrey for safekeeping. He's the new sheriff, but all these other deputies are the same. So just to be safe and make sure there's no question of impropriety, he made sure it was locked up and not accessible. I mean, it is crazy that it's almost two decades and I know. like, what the heck? But anyway, so the undersheriff calls investigator Stansell once he realizes the contents of the crate. Three days later, OSBI agent Ferrari and investigator Stansill reviewed the contents of the crate and discovered information that was previously unknown to the two of them and was not in the OSBI's case file. I can't imagine. And how frustrating. Yes. I mean, OSBI was supposed to be lead on this. They were lead on this. This is crazy. Yeah. Anyway, some of the information related to Phil Welch, David Pennington, and Ronnie Busick as having been involved in the murders and abduction. The crate also contained the names of individuals who might have additional information about the case. And these were people they'd never even heard of before. See, this is so crazy. So, of course, the two investigators now have renewed hope that they might be able to find the girls. So they begin interviewing every single individual whose name was uncovered in this evidence. And every person they talked to, Kath, told similar stories. They all described Welch as scary and someone who threatened all of them with death if they went to the police about anything. They knew that Pennington cooked and used meth and that Busick had been running his mouth about his involvement in the Freeman murders and the abduction of the missing girls. Busick apparently told several people how the girls were tied up in a trailer where they were raped and tortured and kept alive for several days. He insisted that he was not the shooter of the Freemans, but stayed behind with Pennington and set the home on fire to get rid of any evidence. The crate also contained information about a man named R.H. who apparently had been interviewed and said that he knew the two women who had seen the Polaroid photos of the tied up girls. Now, although he did not see any of the photos himself, he told investigators that both women came to him at the time they saw the photos 16 years ago and reported the contents of the photos. Both women reported that they were going to remain silent because Phil Welch had threatened to kill them and cut their children's throats if they talked. So this man, R.H., also made no overtures to law enforcement when he learned about these photos. It's so horrifying that so many people knew, but this one man apparently scared them enough. They all kept their mouths shut. Right. It is horrifying. And honestly, I think when a crime happens, I think a lot of people take an us against them mentality. You know, like if you know someone who's accused of a crime, your impulse is to zip your lips. And then with time, time mellows our emotions and it makes us realize how stupid silence is when you know someone's been harmed. But I think the most frustrating thing about this, though, is that these girls are missing. Mm -hmm. They're not dead. These girls are out there. Unless what we're not reading is that they already knew they were dead. Right. Another person interviewed by investigator Stancil and Agent Ferrari was R.E. And interestingly, he told them that his mother dated Pennington during this time. It was a couple of months after the murders that R.E. learned from Pennington and Phil Welch about their involvement in the crime. 
Phil would come over and cook dope with David Pennington. And talking to each other, R.E. overheard them saying that the reason they went to the Freeman's house that night was over drugs. R.E. did not know or could not remember the exact reason, only that it involved drugs and a drug debt over meth. Now, many of the other people interviewed by Stancil and Ferrari talked about the number of times Phil Welch and Pennington would make comments about killing the two missing girls, saying things like, yeah, we got them, didn't we? Or referring to them as those two little bitches. The story heard around town was the same. Phil was the trigger man, and it was a drug deal gone bad. One person reported that there was even talk of the girls being dumped in a mine shaft or a root cellar that was later covered in concrete. Another person said she heard that when Danny and Kathy Freeman were shot, what had happened is that Ashley and Laura unexpectedly came out of the back room to see it happening. Phil and Pennington didn't know what to do at first with the girls and ended up capturing them and taking them. Now, Joe Dugan, this is the private investigator who was working for $1, passed away in May of 2009. Agent Ferrari located one of Dugan's relatives with the hope of finding that Dugan had kept notes about the Freeman murders and the missing girls. Dugan's relative told Agent Ferrari that after his death, relatives took the investigative material to the Craig County Sheriff's Office. However, the Sheriff's Office refused to take the material, and it was eventually destroyed by Dugan's relatives. Incredible. Like, do you think, how could this possibly happen? And is it just that they're being lazy, like, hey, we're not involved in this. We don't want to deal with it. Or was there actually something nefarious there? Right. Was it nefarious or was it just incompetence? So Agent Ferrari then reached out to Joe Dugan's partner, Tom Pryor, who confirmed that he and Joe had been on the Freeman case. Pryor told Agent Ferrari that Joe had almost all of the investigative notes and materials from the case, and Pryor only had a few items. But one of the items Pryor had in his possession was the original insurance card that his partner found in the Freeman's driveway a few days after the murder. I am sure Agent Ferrari could barely contain her excitement. I bet you're right. Now, Tom Pryor also had some home rental receipts with Phil Welch's name on them that he found in the car associated with the insurance card. Okay, so what happened was... These two investigators get to the scene just after it was released by law enforcement on the day of the fire. Remember, Danny Freeman's brother Dwayne said by 6 p.m. the scene belonged to him, essentially. Right. So Dugan found the insurance card 50 feet from the road on the Freeman's property. So, Kath, I saw a picture of this. It's rural, as we've said. There's a paved road that goes past all the residences that are in this area, which are very far apart. And then from this paved road, there are dirt driveways that go up to the house. So that's what this was. It was a really long dirt road that led to the mobile home. Okay. So after Dugan found the card, Pryor reached out to OSBI and said, hey, we found this insurance card at the scene and asked the agent, whom I believe was Agent Nutter, hey, do you want the card? Pryor said the agent was extremely arrogant and said he did not want the card because he did not think it would be of any help. So, Kathy, what was interesting about this is Tom Pryor described himself as having a 28-year law enforcement career, and he was a private investigator because he was in between jobs. Not sure what that means. Okay. But saw himself as an equal, I'm sure, with the OSBI agent. Right. Like, no professional courtesy whatsoever. Anyway, so, using the information on the insurance card, Pryor found a blue mercury topaz at a salvage yard in Pitcher, Oklahoma. Now, this car belonged to Phil Welch's girlfriend at the time of the fire. 
But Phil said he drove it all the time. Exactly. So Pryor finds his car at the salvage yard and he talks to the salvage yard owner and says, hey, has any law enforcement been here to look at the car? The answer was no. So Pryor then says, hey, do you mind if I look at it? And the guy goes, go ahead. So Pryor does not go inside the car, but he peeks in the windows and what he sees is a car full of clothing and cups and correctly assumes that there probably would have been DNA on the cups and fingerprints on the interior of the car and all this kind of stuff. So he calls the OSBI agent back to let him know that he found the car that was connected to the insurance card found at the scene of the murder. So this agent tells Pryor that too many hands had touched the evidence to make it useful for processing. Can you imagine? No. But as we're hearing all of this, it's not surprising. I'm actually surprised Pryor called and expected a different response. Yeah. I mean, geez. Anyway, so Pryor then calls the woman who owns the car, Phil Welch's former girlfriend. But when he questions her about the vehicle and Phil Welch... She basically said, hey, I'm not saying anything because if I talk to you, I'm going to get killed. Okay, so fast forward all these years and Tom Pryor is now telling investigator Stansell and Agent Ferrari all of this. He also said that he and his partner Dugan believed that Phil Welch, David Pennington and Ronnie Busick were involved in the murders and kidnapping of the girls. He also told them he heard something about photos being taken of the girls, but did not recall where or from whom. So, Kathy, here's like the cherry on top of this like circus that Pryor has been participating in. He told investigator Stansdale and agent Ferrari that he stopped investigating the Freeman case after he was told by law enforcement personnel. I don't know if it was sheriff. I don't know if it was OSBI that he was interfering and that his private investigator license would be canceled if he did not cease his investigation. That's incredible. The probable cause affidavit that we mentioned previously also included notes from three interviews Stansel and Ferrari conducted with Ronnie Busick in July, August, and November of 2017. Now, in each of these interviews, Kath, Busick was absolutely cagey and almost acted like he didn't understand some of what they were asking. Mm-hmm. He never gave them a straight answer about anything. But based on this new investigation conducted by investigator Stansel and Agent Ferrari, an arrest warrant was granted on April 20th, 2018. Ronnie Busick was charged with four counts of first degree murder, two counts of kidnapping and one count of arson. His bail was set at one million dollars. After Ronnie Busick's arrest, the Tulsa World newspaper ran a series in September of 2018 looking back at the crime and the investigation. Written by journalists Andrea Eager and Tim Stanley, it included information from the Freeman and Bible families that had not been made public before. Now, we said previously that the OSBI's earliest theory about the Freeman murder, after only finding one female body in the burning rubble, was that Danny Freeman killed his wife and took the two teenage girls and fled. Now, as we had mentioned, too, from the beginning, Danny's brother, Dwayne, said none of this made sense to him. So when the OSBI turned the property over to him at six o'clock on the night of the fire, Dwayne started looking through the rubble. As he looked, in his opinion, everything that belonged to Danny that he would want to take with him was still there. Not only did it include all of the vehicles that we talked about still being at the home, but Dwayne said that Danny never left the house without his pistol. He had a lot of guns, but this was the only gun he always took with him, and Dwayne found the pistol in the rubble of the house. So because of this, and because Dwayne has, of course, been told by Danny about the potential conflict with the sheriff's department, that night, Dwayne and a friend stood watch over the scene all night long. 
Now, the next morning, he made a quick trip into town. And when he got back to the property, Jay and Loreen Bible, Laura's parents, were there and they were waving Dwayne over to show him the body they found. Now, Kath, Dwayne said he knew immediately it was his brother because Danny had surgery a few years prior when a gun blew up on him and he had a stainless steel plate put in his head, which on this burned body, Dwayne could see. Now, according to the article, this was the moment the Freeman and Bible families began questioning the abilities or potentially hidden agendas of the initial responders. And what's sad is this is 24 hours after the fire and the murders occurred. Right. It's immediate. Loreen Bible said they found Danny's body in five minutes. And her first thought that she repeated several times after this was that the responders were idiots. Now, Dwayne was more suspicious, as we've said, but he believed that if he and his buddy had not stayed at the scene overnight to keep watch, that Danny's body would have been removed by law enforcement to support the theory that Danny was responsible for all of the horror that had happened that night at the Freeman home. And the investigation ends. And of course, his theory is very speculative, but I can't blame either of these families for being highly suspicious of anyone's motivations because this is like Keystone Cops. Yes, it absolutely was. Now, understandably, what angers the Freeman and Bible families was that the amount of evidence that was being ignored that could have led earlier law enforcement officials to find the girls alive. A little over two years after being charged with murder, kidnapping and arson, Ronnie Busick pled guilty to reduce charges. In July of 2020, he pled guilty to being an accessory to first-degree murder in the shooting deaths of Danny and Kathy Freeman, the arson of the Freeman home in Welch, and the abduction and presumed murders of Ashley Freeman and Laura Bible. In doing so, Busick admitted having withheld information from investigators about the involvement of the other two suspects in the case, Phil Welch and Dave Pennington, both of whom died without ever having been charged with the murders. Phil Welch died in 2007 of ALS, and David Pennington died in 2015 in a drug-related incident, which was not explained. Ronnie Busick was sentenced on August 31, 2020, to the term agreed to in his plea deal. He was given a 15-year sentence with 10 years to be served in prison and five years suspended. And this sentence required that he meaningfully assist investigators in their attempts to locate the girl's remains. Now, it also provided an incentive. If he led investigators to the actual remains prior to his sentencing hearing, his sentence would be reduced to five years behind bars and five years suspended. After leading investigators on various searches, the remains of the girls were never recovered. In a September 3rd, 2020 article in Tulsa World by journalist Sheila Stogsdill, Mrs. Bible spoke at Busick's sentencing hearing. Looking at Busick the entire time, Mrs. Bible said, 20 years, eight months, and one day ago. They were young and beautiful, but you know that. They were innocent, but you and your other buddies took that from them. The girls' lives were only just about to begin, but you took that. They did not have a choice. She was not yours for the taking, but you did it anyway. When you took her, though, you messed with the wrong girl. You see, though you stole her from us and all of her future from us, you will never steal our memories of her. They aren't tainted by the awful things you did to her. You aren't allowed to take the good dreams we have of her. The same goes for Ashley. And we, the family of Laura Bible, are faced with a choice of forgiveness. 
that's a tough place to be because forgiving you would mean betraying her. Would she forgive you? The answer is yes. She would have forgiven you if she had the chance. Mrs. Bible then quoted Romans chapter 13, verse 19. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. The scripture says, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Mrs. Bible said her family will trust the Lord. In the courtroom, Busick sat next to his attorney in his orange jail clothes and wearing a face mask. He kept his eyes on Mrs. Bible the entire time she read her victim impact statement. The only thing Busick said during the sentencing hearing was that he immediately wanted to be transferred to the Department of Corrections. Prosecutor Isaac Shields reiterated the July plea agreement before District Judge Sean Taylor that Busick was to provide credible information leading to the recovery of the girl's remains. Had he provided pertinent information, the 10-year sentence would have been cut in half. He told the judge because both families wanted their daughter's remains, they agreed to the length of the sentence as well as the incentive to cut time in half. After the sentencing hearing, District Attorney Investigator Gary Stansill said his interviews with Busick indicated the girls ran out the back door of the Freeman home after the gunfire and hid in a field. Once the home was set ablaze, they tried to escape, but were corralled, captured, and kidnapped. Defense attorney Gretchen Mosley said Busick continues to deny being at the Freeman home on the night of the murders and insists that Welch and Pennington never told him what they did with the girls. Attorney Mosley cited the reason that Busick could not be more helpful was due to his diminished capacity resulting from a gunshot wound to the head as well as years of drug abuse. Oklahoma State Bureau of Investigation Agent Tammy Ferrari and Investigator Stansell said they will continue to look for the girls' remains. Investigators continue to search the areas around Phil Welch and David Pennington's former residences. Eight months after Busick was sentenced, investigators were once again back in picture looking at two empty lots based on information given to authorities by relatives of one of the two deceased suspects. At the time, investigator Gary Stansel said he thought it might be their most promising lead to date in finding Laura and Ashley. Unfortunately, once again, the search was unsuccessful. Now, fast forward to April 28, 2023, just a couple of weeks ago. On that day, the Oklahoma Department of Corrections confirmed that Ronnie Busick would be released from prison on May 19th after serving only five years. Kath, this includes two and a half years of credit while Busick was in jail awaiting trial. While the 10-year sentence Busick received was supposed to be cut in half only if he was able to help find the girl's remains, he was given credit for good behavior. Busick will also serve five years probation with only the first year being under supervised release. The Bible family said they were completely unaware that Busick was going to be released early and learned about it through the media. On May 2nd, 2023, the Bible family launched an online petition at change.org entitled Keep Ronnie Busick in Prison. Spearheaded by Lisa Bible Broderick, Laura's cousin, the petition has already amassed more than 10,000 signatures. Broderick also created a social media page on Facebook dedicated to Laura and Ashley's case, and on the site, she has asked their 31,000 followers to contact Oklahoma's governor and ask him to intervene and stop Busick's release. 
After the sentencing hearing back in 2020, Laura's father, Jay Bible, said, The good Lord is going to bring our girls home someday. We don't have to worry about Ronnie Busick. We just have to go forward and find the girls. Thanks for listening. Thanks so much. We're not going to say much because I've been coughing this whole time. All that's going to be edited out except for maybe a couple coughs. Nope, all of them. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, it's it's the laughter with all of that. Exactly. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.